Why in the world would you ever place yourself under the authority of God? Why would you ever follow his teachings? Why would you ever obey his commands? Well, I'm going to kind of go all in, kind of like you see in World Series of Poker. They take all their chips and they put everything in. They say, I'm going all in. And I'm going to say this is the reason why. Because it's the best way to live. Now, some of you, when you walked in today, you may have uh, looked at the title of the teaching and you thought, wow, you put a lot of time into that. That's real original, you know, real creative, the best way to live. Well, you're right, it's not creative, it's not flashy, it's simply true. And... When you begin to realize this, you begin to realize that God really is better. That God is bigger. That He's smarter. That He's wiser. And that He has such a passion for you. I don't think you realize how much God is constantly thinking about you. He thinks about you all day long. He's longing that you'll spend some time with Him. And even when you don't, it does not Stop his pursuit of you. Now last week we looked at facing trials as we started our new series in the book of James, which is in the New Testament. And we talked about trials and we said that sometimes trials happen because God might place a trial in our life so that we grow closer to him. And that even in the midst of going through trials, though, that we don't go it alone. Because God is with us, but also God is for us. And even in the midst of our trials, that we can still have joy. But I believe it all begins with believing that God's way really is the best way. Like, that becomes the foundation of all other things that you build your life upon. God's way is the best way. And then you willingly surrender to his authority, to his rules, to his teachings. Now part of our plan throughout this summer is for you to connect daily with God's word. And so when you walked in today, you should have, if you can pull this out real quick, uh, you should have received an insert that looks like this, if you can pull it out. And it says fuel. Because this summer we want you to have some spiritual fuel in your life. And so it takes about five minutes a day where you'll read a passage, there'll be some questions or some connection there, but don't just throw this away. Take the fuel with you. You know, it's like my wife always gives me a hard time when we're driving that sometimes, you know, when the E light goes on, I actually push the odometer to zero and then see how far we can get. Don't do that, okay? What you need to do is take your fuel scripture verses and don't put the odometer and say, oh, I'll wait till next Sunday and I'll get it. No, no, no. Start tomorrow. Get fueled up so that you're fueled the whole week. And also, bring your Bible. Bring your Bible uh, each Sunday over this series. And it's not a sin to uh, write your Bible or to, uh, you know, highlight in it. And if you don't have a Bible, we have free Bibles uh, over there that you can go and get. Don't write in those, though. No, you can write in those, too. Like, you ever, people say, hey, we've got free Bibles over there, and you think, oh, it's free. And you get the Bible, and you get ready to walk out, and they go, ah, we want the Bible back. You know, it wasn't really that free. Um, but those are free. You can take them, write in them, whatever. But we really want you to engage uh, with the Bible uh, during this time. Now, last week, we looked at the first Uh, 12 verses uh, of uh, James chapter 1, and today we're going to look at the rest of chapter 1. And starting in verse 13, um, we are told by James, Jesus' brother, um, about temptation. And this is what he says. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil. 
nor does he tempt anyone. God will never tempt you. Why? Because God is good. God is pure. God is holy. God is perfect. God will never bring temptation your way. He will not uh, try to have you do wrong things. He will never tempt you to do something wrong. I'll never forget there was a, a woman that came to my office and uh, she had told me that she was, uh, had an affair outside of her marriage. And uh, she said, I just want you to know, though, that Pastor Chris, God has brought me and this other man together. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Now, it's true that you can have a wrong in your life and God can turn it into a right over a period of time. We have marriages in our church like that. Would that sin hit their marriage and it was wrong, but over time God turned it into a right and things have been beautiful. But it's not because God brought all that together. You brought that together. I've had guys... uh, come up to me uh, before and they'll go, what do you think about pornography? Because it's not really that bad, is it? I mean, I only look at the magazines for the artwork. <laughs> Isn't that good? What an idiot, you know? But no! And I, I, another guy came to me and said, hey, it's not my fault that they, you know, put these beautiful women up on these uh, websites and stuff. What? No, friends. It's true that God makes men and women to be very attracted to each other. That's how He wired it. But He made us to relate with one another, to respect one another, to honor one another. Now, God did give us drives and He gave us desires, but He's not the author of the website. He's not the publisher of the magazine. He's not the one who uh, sells bodies on uh, websites or magazines to make money. He is not the one who clicked the mouse. You can't blame God for that kind of deal, so who's to blame? Uh, For those of you in your 20s, or younger, you probably won't remember this show, but you'll probably Google it while I'm talking. So you'll probably get it here in just a second. So, anyone remember this lady? This was the church lady from the Saturday Night Live skit. This was Dana Carvey. And they had this skit every single Saturday night for several years in which they would bring in a Hollywood star who was the guest of Saturday Night Live, and that person would come in and they would talk about a temptation in their life. And then the guest would say something like, well, I wonder who's tempting me. And then uh, Dana Carvey would look into the camera and go, I don't know, perhaps maybe Satan? And uh, that was it. Now, the problem is, is that sometimes people blame Satan for way too much stuff. Now, it's true that Jesus said that Satan is the father of lies. He's constantly lying to us. He whispers accusations. He plans schemes and has plans to trap us in things. But actually, James in verse 14 tells us where to put the blame. Verse 14 says this, But each of you is tempted when you are dragged away by your what? Own evil desire and entice. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So he puts the blame squarely on us. And he says that temptation actually happens over a period of time. Sin happens in a progressive kind of nature. I think today James might use a fishing kind of analogy. I don't know, maybe not, but I think he might. How many of you uh, like to fish? Okay, okay, several of us like to fish, go out there, and you guys know how it works, right? You get your fishing pole, you go out to a pond, lake, river, whatever, 
and you cast out your line, you have some bait on it, and the bait goes into the water and it goes down, but you don't see what happens underneath the water. But I'm going to show to you what happens. So your bait comes down and all of a sudden a fish looks in there and they're like, Whoa, that's cool, man! And so they kind of, kind of swim over to it and they look at every single angle of this bait. And they're like, man, that looks good. And they look at it all and they go, man, I think I'll go up here and I'll bump it. They go up and they kind of bump it a little bit. They swim away and the bait's still there. So they come back and they're like, well, I'll get a little nibble. So they nibble on it a little bit and they get away. And finally, the temptation is just like too great. The fish goes, I'm going for it. And so the fish comes and they gets it and they're like, Start swimming away, and it's like, this is wonderful, this is great. Whoa, what's going on? What's going on is he got hooked, reeled, filleted, and fried. <laughs> Has that been anyone's experience with temptation before? I think that's what James is saying. You get enticed by your own evil desires, your own lusts, your own drives, and you think it looks good. And so you go and you look at it from all the different angles and you're like, that's good. And then you say, God, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to go for it. And you go and you grab it. And it's fun for a season, isn't it? But eventually what happens is you get hooked, reeled, filleted, and fried yourself. And that leads us to the first key lesson I think James gives to us in this passage. Uh, and it's this. God never tempts us to do wrong. God will never tempt you to do wrong. God has no hidden agenda. You know why? Because His ways are best. He's a good God. He's a loving God. He's a caring God. He wants to pour out His love into our lives. His ways are good. He's full of light. God is not the one doing the enticing, the temptation. Look at what it says in verse 16. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. You see, God is not tricky. He is not shifting in the shadows. Not the way that sin does. I mean, sin is pleasurable for a time, isn't it? Oh, we're all holy this morning. Oh, no. No pleasure at all for me. I'm holy, holy. But the problem with sin is you eventually get hooked, reeled in, filleted, and fried. Verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be be a kind of of first fruits of all He created. He's saying it's not God that's enticing you. It's not God who's tempting you. It's not God who's dropping the bait. The only bait that God drops on us is goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, all the wonderful gifts of the fruits of His Spirit He gives to us, and He lets them drop in a good place. God has no trickery. He is not about shifting shadows. He is good. He is consistent. He longs to give us new life. You see, there came a point in my life when I was in college that I finally said, I don't want to keep doing the same stupid stuff over again. And so I decided I want a new life and I want a new path. That's the whole point of following Jesus is that He gives you a new path. A new way. And you know what the good news is? It's not a one-time deal. It's an everyday deal. You wake up in the morning and you say, God, I messed up yesterday in this, this, and this, but I want to do better today. Help me not to fall into those same temptations, those same traps, and you live that day. And He gives you new life. 
And God, He loves to show off His first fruits. You know who His first fruits are? You. Every time that you turn away from temptation and you turn towards God, God sits in heaven with His angels and He goes, that's my boy. That's my girl. That's who I'm so proud of. And He says, guys, that's just the first installment. I have more fruit that I want to give into your life. Look at verse 19 and 20. James says this, Speaking of the best way to live, uh, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because our anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And this leads us to the second lesson that James teaches us. God, help me to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It's kind of a dance, isn't it? Quick, slow, slow. Quick, slow, slow. And that's what you have to do. You have to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. You know, when I think about anger, I think about it in two different ways. There's uh, the spewers, and some of you are spewers. It's about 50-50, most of us. Some of us are spewers. Something happens to us and we just spew that anger out. We just go off on somebody. And then on this other side, there are the stuffers. They just stuff their anger down. They stuff it down. They stuff it down until finally the pressure pot gets too full and it comes out. And you know why, folks, you know what anger does? It wrecks your relationships. It messes them up. And if you just keep on stuffing and stuffing and stuffing your anger down, it will wreck your relational world. And it will keep you from doing the things that God wants to bless you with. Folks, I'm telling you, anger is like a weapon of mass destruction that has a tendency to go into families and create all kinds of chaos. Look at what it says in Job chapter 5, verse 2. Resentment, in other words, that deep kind of seated anger, kills a fool, and envy slays the simple. Look at what Job says in uh, chapter 18, verse 4. You are only hurting who? Yourself. Who? Yourself. Okay, so you are only hurting yourself with your anger. When you think that you're getting back at somebody and you're holding a grudge on somebody, when you're really ticked off at them for weeks or months or years or decades, you're only killing yourself. Sometimes people think when they get angry at someone else, I'm going to put them in prison. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm going to be mean and nasty to them all the time. I'm going to put them in prison. And then over a period of time, what they find out is that they're not the ones that are in prison. You're in prison. And there's only one key to get out of the prison of anger and resentment and bitterness, and that is the key of forgiveness, where you say, you know what, I'm going to forgive. I'll let myself out. Forgiveness really is the best way to live. Colossians 3.13, amazing verse. Let's let's read this one out loud together. Uh, Let's read it out loud. You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. There's no other option. He says, if you want forgiveness from me, You have to forgive other people. See, the problem is is that sometimes when people offend us and hurt us, we get so uptight and uptight, and we go through long periods of of turmoil, and you're you're just filled with stuff. And God's like, okay, well, you just did like 20 stupid things, but you know what? I can't forgive you because you're not forgiving anybody else. 
Folks, forgiveness is the very nature of God. Just think about it. When Jesus is dying upon the cross, why did He do that? For forgiveness for you and for me. It's the best way to live is to forgive. And you do it quickly. You do it quickly. We do it with our kids all the time. We discipline them, whether it's a timeout or some other form of discipline. And after they're done, we say, well, what do you want to say? And then they'll say, I'm sorry. And every time Jennifer and I go, we forgive you. And if you can't model it for yourself, how can your family do that? How can your marriage do that? How can your workplace do that if you choose not to be the one that leads? I hope that that Jar becomes a trailblazing church of forgivers. People are like, man, I can't believe that. I was just talking to a guy uh, a, a few months ago here at the church, and he said, man, i got a story for you I want to share with you. I was like, okay. And he said, I had this, this other guy at the workplace, and, and he, he was like one of my best friends in the workplace. We worked together for years. And all of a sudden, I heard that he started talking about me behind my back. And he started talking about it more and more, and I heard it, and I just got so mad and angry, and I wanted to take him out. And he said, then one day, I was reading my Bible, And as I was reading my Bible, I came to this scripture on forgiveness about how God cannot forgive you unless you forgive others. And so I went and I confronted him and asked him about it. And he said, yeah, I said that. And he said, I forgave him and said, hey, that's just the way, you know, I'm trying to live my life. And they got reconciled. And this was what was so cool. A few months ago, that's why you have to invite your friends to church. That's why you should invite them to kids camp. That's why you should invite them to things. Because it changes their life. This is what happened. The backstabber one day was sitting over in this section right by the person who had been stabbed in the back. That doesn't happen in the world. That only happens in Christ's church. Every place in the world says revenge is the answer. Get back. I'm going to get mine. And the church says, well, you can do that, but it's a horrible way to live. The joy just goes away. Can you imagine that? I mean, here's the person that just stabbed you in the back over a period of months. And one day the person comes up to you and says, hey, I heard you talking about the jar, and I thought maybe I'd go and you invite them, and then all of a sudden they're there. That only happens in the church. That's why we should invite all the people who are messed up just like us. Well, just like you. Folks, when you let go of your anger and forgive other people, it doesn't necessarily mean that they'll always come to church and they'll always fess up and they'll do that. But why not try? What if what stands between you and another person's eternity is simply the fact that you choose to be the bigger person? Does it really cost you that much? Forgiveness is key. Let's go on. Verse 21. It says this. I think I just skipped an entire illustration. That's right. (laughs) All of you are like, don't go back. Just keep going, man. Just keep going. No, but forgiveness is about letting the person free. James, uh, verse 21, says this. Therefore... Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Any, ever, any of you ever watched this uh, show on Hoarders, or uh, on A&E called Hoarders? Anybody ever see that show? I saw it uh, for the first time a couple of weeks ago. And basically it's a show about people who they hoard everything like in their house, and it gets so bad they, they, they can't even, like, get into the house. And I was watching this episode, and they'll send a professional in to kind of help them, encourage them, help them, you know, through some of that uh, struggle. And uh, 
So they were helping this lady, and they said, we need you to be honest. Is this it? And then she's like, yeah, it's it. So they get the house like halfway cleaned up because the biggest key is that you have to get the filth out of the house and all the hoarding, all the stuff. You've got to get it out so the person can function again. And so they did that, and she came back, and they said, uh, so everything's good? And she said, well, I forgot to tell you one thing. She said, I have a basement. And they went down there, and the basement's like full too. And so, you know, the whole thing is like, how do we get all this filth out of this house so that this person can live again? Well, folks, some of us may never be on that show. We don't hoard stuff. But you know what I've found in my own life? Is that sometimes I'm very tempted to hoard the moral filth in my life. It's very easy for me to, to hide it. You see, I can keep it at the house. I can keep it in my mind. I can keep it away from other people. And you can too. You can hoard moral filth for a long period of time and people will never know. And so God says, well, you've got to get rid of that. I know it, so get rid of it. And then we humbly accept God's word that was planted in us. And the scripture says, why? Why do we want to do that? What's it say? To save us. Here James is saying that there are a lot of bad choices. There are a lot of options. There's a lot of like prevalency of moral filth in the world. You, on the other hand, should accept the truth that was planted in you. Because this truth can not only save you, it can heal you. It can give you assurance. It can free you. It can guide you. Just humbly accept the Word of God. That leads us to our memory verse that is this week. We all remember last week was James 1.5, right? If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and He will give it to you. And today, we're looking at this verse. And we're going to say this together. When you memorize a verse, you say the verse and then you share where it's at. Don't do the TNIV or the 22, or you'll be really weird around everybody else, okay? So just start with do, and we'll go all the way through, okay? So let's read out loud together. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. James 1.22. Say it again. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. James 1.22. Now, that phrase there, listen to the word, is actually our English word for the word audit. So the word listen, uh, we get our word of audit out of the Greek. Now, how many of you have ever audited a class before, ever in your life, high school, college, a work class, something like that? A few of us. So auditing basically means you go and you take the class. You just don't have to do the work. I took piano in college because I thought, you know, I don't want to do it for a grade, but I'll just be, you know, audited. This is what I learned, okay, from my piano class. Nothing. I learned how to play Lean on Me with three fingers, not because the teacher told me, but because I just learned. And this is what I can do after spending a year auditing piano class. That's it. Because I audited the class. And that's what James is saying here. Don't merely audit the Word of God. Don't just audit the class. Don't just come here on Sunday and listen to God's Word and look at it in your program and then don't look at it again until the next Sunday because that's just auditing the class. You show up. You hear the information. You just don't do anything about it. You don't test yourself. You don't have anything to show how you live that way. Don't audit the class. James says if you do this, you're just deceiving yourself. You know, I've uh, been a Christ follower for several years, and one of the things that I've found is that there are some 
Christians, I don't mean to be judgmental, but there are just some Christians that they have another tag before their name, before Christian. And you know what it is? It's the perpetually unchanged. They're perpetually unchanged. They show up every Sunday. They could beat you in Bible jeopardy like you wouldn't believe. They know verse after verse after verse. The only problem is nothing's changing in their inner world. They continue to be mean and nasty and cold and judgmental. And they're the gossip person in the workplace. That's what we have to work against many times. It's not people who are, you know, hell-bound. They already know that. It's the people who come in there and they don't know they're hell-bound too, but they act like they got it all together. And the reason they are is because for years and years they show up, they check it off, and they say, well, I went to church. They check it off. They said, well, I listened to the Bible. They check it off and they said, well, they prayed in church today, so I pray." And they might be really, really religious, but they just hide behind their religiosity. They simply mask what's on the inside. And they think they're growing, but they're not. Let's look at verse 26 and 27. James says this, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. Religion that God the Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Here James is just saying, if you think you're being religious, that you're growing, you're just kidding yourself. I mean, if if you can't put a tight ring on your tongue, if you're just divisive and abrasive and abusive and you spill that anger out and all that stuff, and you can't control your tongue, then you're just kidding yourself. If your heart is not growing towards people that Jesus loves, and who are the people? He says the orphans, the widows, the poor. You're not growing. Your religion is worthless. And you're not going down my path. You're leading into a path of deception. This leads us to our third key in the passage, and it's this. Deception goes deeper when I hear God but don't obey Him. Deception goes deeper when I hear God, but I don't obey Him. You see, folks, I'm just fooling myself if I keep hearing from Him, but I'm not actually walking for Him. Because practice is so important. You know, If a coach stood up before his team and they said, we're going to do this and this and this and this. Okay, everybody can go home now. That team would be like my little league team that I had. Coach was a good guy. He just didn't ever have his practice. It's just talking the talk but not walking the walk. I bet every single person in here has done this before when it comes to working out. You ever do that before? You're like, you're talking about working out. You've got things planned down about when you're going to exercise. You say, these are the five steps I'm going to do. And you talk about these days. And pretty soon, you actually think you've already worked out. You've talked about it so long, you're like, whoo, that was a workout. There's only one problem. You didn't work out. And I think we can do that with God's Word. And that's something I always want to test my heart. You see, sometimes you may look up there and you'll be like, oh, wow, you know, wow, I really appreciate what he said today. You know what I do? I come up here with fear and trembling, and this is my greatest fear, that I don't want something to come out of my mouth that I'm not living the rest of the week. You see, the key to a great pastor, to a great communicator, is not what they do on Sunday, but it's what they do Monday through Saturday. It's not in the 
30 or 40 minutes that I'm up here. But it is what I'm doing all the rest of the week. And that is where God convicts me because I never want to share something that I'm not living it out in my life. And so I say, God, I surrender this to you. Help me to live it out this week. And when you're not living out God's word, you're just kidding yourself. That's why Jesus, or Jesus' brother James said, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You see, folks, Jesus' gospel was full of grace, but it was also full of radical obedience. You see, there's something within us in which God's graciousness comes down and he comes to us, but we want to be able to just be grateful to him for what he's doing in our lives. There's a gracious response of God and a grateful response of humankind. So this is the thing. We don't obey God so that we get in the good favor of God. We obey because we already are in the good favor of God. Do you see the difference? We don't do the things so that God can say, oh, I I like you. No, no, no. We say, God, we like you. We love you. We want you in our lives. And because of that, we're in the favor of God. The favor of God is already in your life. It's a grateful response to a loving God. That's what obedience is. So we're going to uh, leave the screens blank. And it didn't go so well, the first one. So I hope it goes better on this one. But we're gonna rep- I'm going to share the verse to you, and then you're going to repeat it back to me, okay? So here we go. Uh, do not merely listen to the Word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Okay, we're going to do a little bit more. Do not merely listen to the Word, And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So let's do it all together. Nobody looking. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Look at that. You guys get an A today. You know? You can do it. James 1.22. Thank you. Some of you will be like, I got where's it from? I have no idea. But uh Okay, next two verses talk about mirrors. And, uh, you know, there are some mirrors that are better than other mirrors. Um, anybody ever got in front of one of those slimming mirrors before? I did that one time, and I'm not usually a vain person, but all of a sudden I was like, man, I look pretty good. So I kind of turned to the side. I was like, Jen, no, 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 don't look at me. Look at the mirror, you know. And... Uh, I was like, wow, that's great. Or you ever go to a carnival or, um, you know, a fair, like the Delaware County Fair. They'll have those uh, mirrors that are kind of distorted a little bit, and those are kind of fun too. Well, James shares about the Bible actually being a mirror. In verse 23 and 24, it says, Those who listen to the Word but do not do what it says are like people who look at their faces in a mirror and after looking at themselves go away and immediately forget what they look like. Now, I, um, I don't particularly like mirrors, and uh, I'm not much of, I'm not a vain person. <laughs> I mean, look, you know, I mean, can't be very much vain. But uh, I, I was like, I want to do an illustration on a mirror, so we didn't even have a mirror. So I went to Walmart last night and bought a mirror. So if you need a mirror, I'm going to leave it up here. If anybody really needs a mirror, after it's done, you can take this one, okay? So, Sometimes, though, I get the mirror and I I look in the mirror and it's painful, you know, like it's really painful. And I look in the mirror and all of a sudden I'm like, dude, you've got a nose that looks like an elephant trunk, you know. It's just like off the front of your head and it's just like flinging back and forth, you know, like that's it. And this morning I noticed I had like a little zit under hair. I like popped that thing so nobody here could see that. Not on the mirror. You ever, ah, forget it. You've all done it. It just might gross you out a little bit. <laughs> okay. And so, uh, and sometimes I'll look in the mirror and I'll be like, you know, your goatee, it used to be blonde and then it was black and 
now it's just gray, you know? And I'll look in the mirror, and guys especially do this. I see it in your eyebrows all the time. Your wives or your girlfriends tell you about it. But you get some, like, weirdo, whipped out, like, like eyebrow thing that's going out, and people kind of they look, whoa. And no one tells you. If I see it, I'll tell you, okay? Because it's weird, you know? And um, I'm convinced that, that men, we don't, like, lose hair. It just grows in other places, like in your ears. And, I mean, in your nose. Chuck Mock, who's our Celebrate Recovery guy, he, he got married yesterday, and I was his best man. And my wife said, <laughs> said I think you better, you know, kind of get, you know, all that hair taken care of. So I went out and I bought this little man pack thing, and you put this thing on there and you put it in your nose and like drill. All of a sudden I was like, whoa, you know? <laughs> so if you're shorter than me and you come up, I don't have any in there today, you know? But we got to do this. Now, it's just crazy. Now, this is the thing. What if I look in the mirror and then I put the mirror down and I walk away and then I go, you know what? I am a combination of Brad Pitt and Channing Tatum. Uh, that's who I am. You're like, no, you're not. I'm deceiving myself. That's what the Scripture is saying. If you look at the Word of God and you don't do what it says, you're like a person who looks in the mirror and then you forget what you look like. You know, one of the things that's throughout the Word of God is that He calls us to show His love to other people that don't know Him. And so uh, this... Uh, Thursday for July 4th, each of you received a little card that was in your program. We're going to have a cookout at Tui Park, and you can sign up for it today. It'll help us a lot so that uh, we know you're coming. And you can invite friends, whoever. But then after uh, we're done eating, we're actually going to pass out 2,000 um, glow-in-the-dark necklaces. And then you can watch the 4th of July down there. Uh, What's good about it is you get good parking <laughs> if you go to the cookout, and then you don't have to you know, fight for the parking that they always have. And uh, so you're there, and, and everything's uh, you know, awesome. You can do the, the fireworks, and we're going to just show God's love. And one of the things that, that God's Word tells us is that we need to show His love to other people freely. And the thing is, we want to be a church that are not just hearers of the Word, but that we're actually doers of his word. Let's look at this next verse in Colossians 3, verse 16. It'll come up on the side screens, and uh, let's read it together. Let the words of Christ in all their richness live in your hearts and make you wise. You want to be wise? You want to make good decisions? You want to go the right way? You want to be a doer? of the Word, then let the words of Christ dwell in you richly, in richness. Let it make you wise. Let it lead your life. So how do we do that? How do we hide God's Word in our heart? How do we allow the Bible, not just to be words that we read, but that it actually changes who we are? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to read it. Okay? You have to read it. If your Bible is going to get read, who's going to read it? Not me. I got my Bible. You have to read your own Bible. And I would encourage you to read it out loud. That when you get it, you actually read it out loud. Now, why do I say that? Because I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I drift. If I'm just reading the Bible and I don't read it out loud, pretty soon I start thinking, okay, what are the five things? And then I'll, was picking up the kids one of those? I don't remember. Now I, I'm, I'm totally distracted. Or I'm reading and then all of a sudden I'm like, man, it just said hunger. Man, I am getting hungry. 
wonder what I'm going to eat for lunch. You know, and then you just kind of go on. Or if I'm outside, sometimes, you know, I'll be reading, and then if I look up, then all of a sudden I, like, I see a bird. I'm like, wow, look at that bird. Man, I like that bird. So when you read it out loud and you actually read it out loud, it keeps you focused. The second thing is you want to reflect uh, on what it says about God and you. To reflect on what it says about God and you. First of all, what's the Scripture say about God? So if I was reading it this week, I'd say, well, one thing it says is that God never tempts us. That He is not shaking in the shadows. That He is consistent. Then you have to say, well, what's it say about me? And so you put it up like a mirror and you say, okay, I've read these words. Now, what does it say about me? Speak to me. Show me an accurate description of it. Then after you read and reflect on it, then you respond to God's prompting. God may share something as you're reading the words, like to listen. Um, And you simply ask Him, and then you respond to it. This uh, past week, I was reading in our fuel uh, pamphlet, and I got to the passage that we read earlier, um, James chapter 1, verse 19, that says, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So I read that, and uh, all of a sudden it was like, ah. I felt like God was saying, Chris, you're doing a pretty good job with the anger thing. Not too bad. But, you know, that being, uh, you know, kind of slow to listen and, and quick to speak, that's what you're doing. You're not being quick to listen and slow to speak. And you know who you really don't listen to very much is over the past couple of weeks has been your, your wife and your kids. And uh, I felt real convicted by it. So yesterday we're at Chuck's wedding. And my four-year-old daughter comes up, Shiloh, and she's like, I want to dance. No one's on the dance floor. So if I dance, I look like an idiot. Not like I don't look like an idiot most of the time anyway. And I think, you know, two weeks ago if she would have said that and I hadn't read that, I'd have been like, honey, we'll dance later. I would have come up with an excuse. I was like, all right, let's go dance. So we're out there and it's, Chubby Checker doing the twist. I mean, you couldn't have picked a worse song for me. So I'm like out there, you know, doing the, I mean, the things just don't move like what they're supposed to move. And, but she's having fun. And then, uh, you know, part of it was listen to your wife. And so I was finishing up the teaching in the car, and I really just wanted to finish it. And I was kind of hoping she would not talk. And, um, and she talked. And, and, and we talked the whole way from Ohio, you know. And, and most of the time, I, I just listened. And it was such a beautiful time in our relationship because I actually heard her heart. And I hadn't heard her heart in a while. But I'm just telling you, folks, I would have never responded to that prompting had I not read it in the Bible. Next one is you rest in the presence of God. That there comes a point where you simply say, I'm just going to rest in your presence, and I'm going to assume that you're going to transform me as I rest in this moment. Maybe you're reading a passage on grace, and you just go, man, God, I feel so guilty. I feel so shameful for whatever I've done. God, I need need to rest right now in your grace. Would you just forgive me and love me? Just, I know I don't deserve it, but would you give it to me anyways? And you just rest in that. Or you rest in His peace. My life seems so disjointed. God, could I just rest in your peace for a while? So you read, you reflect, you respond, and then you rest in the presence of God. And then finally, you're ready to resolve to walk differently. Here's where you say, I'm not just going to merely listen to the Word of God, but I'm actually going to do what it says. This week, I'm going to resolve to walk in this direction. For some of you, it might be saying, hey, you know what? This week, I get these things, and I, I see them, and I just kind of go through them. By Wednesday, I'm not. But you know what, God? This week, I really want to take five or ten minutes each day and stay connected in your word. Because it's the best way to live. Let's look at what uh, it says in James 1.25 as we wrap up. 
James says this, But if you look closely into the perfect law, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that sets people free, and keep on paying attention to it, and do not simply listen and then forget it, but put it into practice, you will be blessed by God in what you do. I'll just ask the questions that I asked when we started. Why in the world would you ever place yourself under the authority of God? Why would you, why would you follow His rules? Why would you obey His teachings? And for me, there's two reasons why. The first reason is I'm just so grateful to God that He would even choose to have a relationship with me. But not just give a relationship, but give me all the good things in life if I follow Him. And the second reason is, why, why do I allow Him to be the authority over my life? It's because it's the best way to live. I've tried other ways that didn't work. It was the best way to live. That's why I want all my friends, I want my neighbors, I'm reaching out to my neighbor right now, I, there's stuff in this life, I want Him to have the best way to live. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Let's stand for closing prayer. I'd invite our prayer team to come up if you'd like prayer for anything. Uh, after the celebration, uh, they'll be up here to uh, pray with you. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that you don't change like shifting shadows. That you're consistent. You're always good. You're always pure. You're always holy. You're always loving. You're always forgiving. And you never tempt us to do the wrong thing. God, as we go through the study of James for the rest of the summer, I pray that it would change our lives, that it change our families, that it change our neighborhoods, that it change our church that we will be different people because we're drinking in your word daily and then living it out each day. Help us to become more like Jesus who knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the best way to live really is God's way and he lived that even to the cross. Move in us this week so that we might show love to others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. 